Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. It's great to have a, a weekend off and I don't have to preach. It's, uh, um, it's, it's wonderful. I, I do quite a bit of traveling now, as some of you will know, and I go to lots of different places and I get inspired when I go and I bring whatever God is asking me to bring. And uh, there, are, there are occasions, not very many actually, when you go to a place and you think, this is family. This is family. This is, they share the same DNA. They're trying to do the same stuff. They have the same struggles, the same kind of makeup in the congregation, same kind of music. And there's just something in the atmosphere where you go, these guys are family. And uh, I, I went to teach. Um, I met these, these guys um, about maybe about 18 months ago. A year ago, we got to know each other a little bit. They've become good friends. And I went to teach in their church in Atlanta. And it was just like family. Uh, they do missional communities. They have a very similar vision, which I'll get Matt to come and share a little bit um, about in a moment. But I'd love you to put your hands together and give a very warm welcome to the Reverend Dr. Matthew Reynolds. <laughs> Did I just um, did I just give you qualifications you don't have? I'm I'm working on those. Okay. You've given me a new vision to uh, aspire for. Thank you, Lord. Matthew, just before you come and uh, teach God's word to us, uh, just tell us a little bit about um, your church and a little bit about the vision that you have, because it kind of collides with what we're trying to do, and it will just encourage us and inspire us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're right in the center of Atlanta. And we're in an old Baptist church that's kind of been revitalized because a lot of churches moved out of the city about 30 or 40 years ago. And so our church really had a heart to go back into the city and to plant in the city. And, and then really a bunch of young people, college students, young professionals started to just get saved and come into the kingdom. So we just found a unique grace even to reach the next generation really present in the city and that's something we're seeing happen all over the world, really, the next generation just being in the city. So what does it look like to, to make disciples who make disciples? What does it look like to have communities that are on mission together? And so we hope to, to send people to different cities, really, to do just that, to reproduce that. So I think that there's a lot of similarities there. And actually, one of the guys that came with us here that I discipled 18 months ago, we came here he met a guy from this church, and then they both ended up in Chicago for the last year. And I don't know if they lived together or just hung out all the time, but it was a, I mean, I think that was even a sign of, of yeah. some of what God could be doing. So, Brilliant. Well, we'd love to pray for you um, as you lead us um, in unpacking the scripture. So why don't you just reach out a hand? And uh, it's not weird. It's just a sign of saying, I'm in this. I'm, I'm in this. And we'll bless this guy. And uh, we'll ask God to uh, come and reveal his truth in his word. Father, we love you and we trust you. We thank you for Matt, your servant. We thank you for the way in which you're using him and the gifts that he has given and Marge and the team uh, to build your church. And we thank you, Father, for the vision that you've given to them. And we ask that you prosper it and encourage it, even as a result of this trip. And Father, we... Um, we're your servants and we're expecting you to speak because this is your word. And your word always does this. It's living and dynamic. It speaks truth to our hearts and it changes us. 
So we ask in these moments that we would be, uh, we would be attentive listeners to your word. And we ask in these next few hours, days, weeks, and months, we'd be attentive doers of your word as you speak truth into our hearts. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and have your way with us. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Carl. It's good to, to be here this morning. And I have a couple pictures real quick just of my family so you get a sense of who's um, the most beautiful in our family. So this is Margaret, my wife, and our two kids, Jude and Caleb. So that was taken recently. And then I have one just of Caleb because he's like, look at, I mean, it's like a perfect baby. I mean, look at that shot. I just, that's like one of my favorite pictures. So this is us. We live right in, a, in Atlanta next to the zoo. So we have a great time there. And something that we've been talking about recently is just remembering where we've come from. And, and sometimes we forget just that we have bodies and that we take up space on, on the planet. And it's interesting if you look at Genesis that it says we were formed from the earth, but then that God breathed his breath into us. And that's when we became living beings. So we're this mixture of earth and dirt, but also glory at the same time. So we're very fragile as humans, but we're also very powerful because of the life of God in us. And I don't know if you've even thought about your breathing recently, but this is something interesting. Every human from whatever culture, from whatever language you speak, whatever time you were born in, you breathe every few seconds. Most of us take about 15,000 breaths per day. So why did God set it up that way? Why do we have to breathe to live? Is there something that he's trying to remind us of, remind us of, where we've come from in that act. And then there's a couple other things that we all do. We all have to breathe. We all eat three times a day if we're lucky. That's what we wanna do. We want to eat. We just have this built-in mechanism. We all have to drink water to stay alive. You can't live more than two days without drinking water. And then we all have to, to rest. And just think about that for a minute, that if, if you were, you know, studying us as like an alien or something, saying, okay, let's look at these humans. We literally <laughs> go into a room, lay down on a rectangle, and we spend a third of our day in like a coma-like state. Have you thought about that recently? Like, that's really weird. We're going about, and then we just totally knock out. So the average person that would live to 78 will spend 25 years of their life a quarter of a century sleeping. So we've been asking that question, why did God set it up this way? Is he trying to teach us something about himself the way that we're made? Is he trying to remind us of something as we do these acts every day? And so it's really interesting when Jesus steps on the scene because he brings back these pictures. He talks about the spirit being like the breath of God, the wind of God that's constantly pulsing through our lives. He talks about himself. He says, I am the bread of life. You need to eat food to live and to survive. But as you eat food, it's really screaming a reminder to you that you need me 
the true food, the bread that's come down from heaven. Then he talks about this idea of, of drink and, and of thirst. And he gives us this picture that we're gonna read about in John chapter four. You can turn there. John chapter four, he talks about this living water that he quenches, not just our physical thirst with, but the thirst of our soul. And then later, and we're not gonna talk about this this morning, but he presents himself as rest. You can sleep and you can rest physically, but if you want the deepest levels of rest, you have to come to me. So we've been looking at these physical pictures, these things that, that we do as humans, every single one of us. If you're human in the room, this applies to you. And Jesus says, this is speaking and, and screaming and reminding you of something much deeper. So in John chapter four, it says that Jesus comes to Samaria and he's actually tired. And so the disciples go into town and he sits because he's tired. And a Samaritan woman comes out to draw water in John 4, 7. And he asks for a drink. And the Samaritan woman says, this isn't proper. How can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus responds and says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she's intrigued by this and she says, well, how are you going to get this water? What kind of water are you talking about? And in John 4, 13, he says, everyone who drinks of this water, this physical water, will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then she says, okay, I'll have that. <laughs> Whatever that is, there's something in me that knows I need more than just meeting my physical needs. So if you look at John chapter seven, this is the other passage where Jesus talks about this idea of living water, the water for our soul. And I wanna read the beginning of this passage in John seven to get, to get a little bit of context of, of why Jesus is using this, this metaphor and what the people at the time would have experienced. And in John chapter seven, at the beginning, it says that it was the Jewish festival of tabernacles. So it was one of the times in the year when all the Jews, all the Israelites from around Jerusalem and the surrounding area would come together to be there in Jerusalem and to go to the temple. So it says in John seven two, when the festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee, which was in the north, and go to Judea, in the south where Jerusalem is, so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. And it basically says here that they didn't even really believe in him at the time. So they're provoking him to go to the festival. And he says he's not gonna go. And then later he secretly goes. So I don't know if this is Jesus like telling a white lie or what, but it's really interesting. I love how you just keep reading the Bible and Jesus keeps doing things that you don't expect him to do. So he shows up at the festival and it would be a week-long festival. Tabernacles was this week-long festival where people would gather and just remember their time in the wilderness, how God provided for them, how God sustained them and, and really kept them alive in the wilderness. And so they'd build these little shelters and these little lean-tos and they would live in these little booths, these little tabernacles for a whole week. 
and just tell the story, sit around the campfire, remember what God had done in their history. So Jesus is going up to the temple and he's teaching. Some people believe in him and they're like, this is the one, this is the Messiah, this is who we've been looking for. Other people are plotting to kill him. And then it says that Jesus does something in the last day of the feast. And, and, and really to get a sense of tabernacles and even what was happening to, for them to remember their, their history and what God had done with them, we need to look at uh, Psalm 84. So you can turn there if you want, Psalm 84. This was actually a psalm that they would have recited and chanted as they even traveled into Jerusalem. Because for a lot of people, this journey, this pilgrimage to Jerusalem would have taken them a couple days, maybe actually weeks. And so they're journeying in to be in this place with their whole community and remember the stories of what God has done. And, and again, the temple's there in Jerusalem. So this is the place that God's presence is dwelling. And so for them to be near that place of God's dwelling was the most precious thing. And so Psalm 84 talks about this. This is a Psalm that they would have recited and sung and prayed as they're on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And it says this, Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. In verse 10, it says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I always read this Psalm as like, oh, David's kind of lives right by the temple. And he's like, I really like to be in the temple in the place of your presence. And he could just kind of pop over there whenever he wanted. But this was written for people who never, I mean, maybe once a year got to be near the temple. So there's this yearning, there's this desire, there's this fainting of the soul saying, I just want to be there. I want to be close to where God's presence is. And that's what Psalm 84 verse four is talking about. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. But this is like the jackpot. If you live near the temple and you can just be that close to God's presence, they're saying, you've arrived, that's it. Verse five, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. So as the people are journeying towards Jerusalem, as they're thinking about maybe the last time they were there and what it was like to pray there in the temple with their community, what it was like to worship, what they experienced, maybe something that they heard from God. They're just journeying, they're trekking through desert, through wilderness saying, I can't wait to get there again, to be there with my people and with God. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also will cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion, in Jerusalem. And so the Valley of Baca, this is the dry places, the dead places. They're traveling through the dry wilderness saying, God, you provided water from a rock for your people. You've provided for your people in the past. You will provide for us. Tabernacles and the, and the festival of booths was a, is a harvest festival. So they're bringing in 
fruit and grain and things that God's provided. And they're saying, Lord, you provided for us last year. Here's the fruit that came from your provision. Do it again. They would have been praying for the early rains, saying, God, give us the early rains. Give us those autumn rains. Spiritually, they would have been praying, Lord, the dead places, the dry places in our life, the valleys of Baca in our families, in our souls, make these places like springs and pools of water. Refresh them, restore them. Fill us with your spirit like only you can do. So this is what's really interesting. They would have been journeying towards Jerusalem, singing things like Psalm 84. And then when they would get there at the festival of tabernacles, there would be a water ceremony that would happen every single day. So we have a little picture here of Jerusalem, if you can throw that up, the map. And the temple is kind of up on the top right. And so that's where everybody would be kind of gathered on a daily basis. And then there's the pool of Siloam down here on the bottom right. And that was about a mile kind of journey. So every day, a whole procession of people would go from the temple down to the pool of Siloam. And they would get a pitcher of water from the pool. And then they would trek back up, hike back up to the temple. And that was symbolic of saying, God provided water for us again in the desert. He's provided for us. He's, he has been the one that we've leaned on. And they would come up to the temple and they would have this basin and they would pour the water out and this would happen every single day. So there's three things they're kind of remembering. One is saying, God, you've provided for us. We're, we're thinking about what you've done in the past. Then there was a, a meaning for the present. They're saying, God, give us the, the, the rains again. If you don't give us rain, we will die. We need your provision just to stay alive. Make the, the dry and the dead places fresh. So there's a past meaning, a present meaning, but then there was also a future meaning. They would be looking ahead as they're doing the water ceremony every day saying, God, one day you're gonna send the promised one. You're gonna bring salvation to us, to your people through this Messiah. There's gonna be a giving of your spirit that makes things right again. So this is literally what they would be praying and singing from Isaiah every day as they were doing this water ceremony. One was from Isaiah 12, three. They would say, with joy, we will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's Isaiah 12, Three, they're pouring the water out saying, with joy, we will draw water from the wells of salvation. This is a future expectation we're looking for. Then they would pray and sing Isaiah 44, three, for I will pour water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So this is the backdrop of what's happening in Jerusalem at the Festival of Tabernacles. So then in John 7, 37, it says that Jesus does something. He crashes the party on the last and the greatest day of the festival. So throw that, this, here, here's the picture of them going down. So on the last and greatest day of the festival, the end of the week, they would have gone down to the pool of Siloam, 
There's trumpets, there's shofars, there's sticks. Remembering that water came from a rock. Paul would say that that rock was Christ. There would be fruit. People are saying, God's provided for us. And Jesus is part of this procession. But then probably at the moment that they're going to sing and pray the promises of Isaiah, it says, John 7, 37, Jesus stands up and cries out in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and out of your belly will flow living water as the scriptures have testified. Kind of makes a little bit more sense if that is the context where Jesus says, come to me if you're thirsty. Come to me if you're longing. I will fill you, and if I fill you with this living water out of your innermost being, you will become a source of this living water yourself. So everyone probably would have been completely shocked. Who is this man? You can't do this. You're undermining the whole system. Because Jesus effectively is saying, you don't need to come to the temple anymore. He's saying, I am the temple. I'm embodying the temple. If you're thirsty, come. If you drink from me, you will actually become a source of this living water. And it says he spoke of the spirit that would be given. So this is amazing. Jesus says, I am the source. And as you receive from the source, you become a source yourself. So this is a huge paradigm shift. If you drink from me, the source, you will become a source of this life. You'll become a tributary of this river of God. So think about all the people. They've spent days, they've spent weeks trekking to get to this point, to get to the temple, to get near the presence of God. And then Jesus says, I am the presence of God. I am the temple. I embody this life that you're looking for, this presence, and I'm actually willing to give it to you. And when it comes into your life, you will actually become a temple yourself. You will become a source of this life that you're seeking. It flips the whole paradigm. Now, it's really interesting if you look at the temple, Solomon's temple was the first temple. When they dedicated that temple, it was filled with glory and the fire of God basically fell, symbolizing God's presence in that place. 
Then the temple is destroyed in 597 when the Babylonians come in. The second temple is built about 67 years later. And when that temple is built, there's never, there's no indication that the fire ever fell again or that the glory filled that temple. In Ezra, it even says that some of the people who were alive during the first temple, when they dedicated the second temple, they wept because it wasn't like the first one. So Jesus shows up and he says, you're not gonna have to trek and journey to the temple anymore. If you encounter me and receive from me, you will become the temple. And then on Pentecost, when the spirit is poured out after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected, what happens? The fire falls again on Pentecost. But this time it doesn't fall on a place, a temple. It falls on a people. So Jesus meant what he said at the water ceremony. If you receive from me, you will become a source. Mobile temples. People don't have to journey to a place anymore they will now encounter a people and that's how they're gonna experience the presence and the life of God. So this is a game changer. This changes, this changes everything. A lot of us still are coming to a place. We think if we can get to a temple, then we'll experience God's presence. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't work like that. If you encounter me and you drink from me, the source, of life, you become a source yourself. Ezekiel 47 gives us this amazing picture of what your life is supposed to look like. This is the last quick thing I'll read. Ezekiel 47 says, this is what your life will look like if you receive the living water that is given by Jesus. And it's a picture of water, living water, the spirit coming from the temple, which again is now us. And as the water leaves the temple, it gets deeper and wider the further away it gets from the temple. And then it says in Ezekiel 47, this is what this water is doing. 47.7, on the banks of the river, I saw a great number of trees on each side. He said to me, the water flows toward the eastern region and goes into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. So the water's leaving the temple. It's getting wider and deeper as it travels from the temple and it's going into the dry places, into the dead places, into the Dead Sea. And it says, when it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Where this river of the spirit flows out of the temple, it makes th dead things alive, salty things fresh. And even the idea of fish all over Ezekiel, the idea of fish, different kinds of fish represents the nations. So there's this picture that the nations 
will be drawn together in this river of God, the movement of his spirit that's coming out of his people, the temple. It says fruit trees, verse 12, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. So there's this element of supernatural fruitfulness that should be coming out of our lives now because of this river, the spirit of God. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. In Revelation 21, it talks about the same river and it says that the leaves of the tree, the trees on both sides of the river are for the healing of the nations. This passage is not about a place. This passage is about a people. This passage is describing what your life looks like when you drink the water, the living water that Jesus gives. And I don't know if you've experienced this. I don't know who you've encountered that has the living water coming out of their life. I grew up in church. I left the church. There was no life there. I don't know what happened to the river. It missed that church. (laughs) I'm sure there was some good people there, but I literally was there and I did not experience any life. None of the Jesus stuff made sense. I left the church. We were in high school, just going about our business, partying, trying to have the best time that we could. We were actually having a lot of fun. And then some people came into our high school from this ministry and there was something about them. They were kind of awkward. We were like, why are these old people coming into the high school? You know, they don't have any friends. It just felt weird. They're at our lunch. We felt bad. We had lunch with them and we, we built these relationships. And I remember thinking there's something about these people. None of us were gonna go to church anymore, but the river started to come to us. And over a couple years, we just noticed there's something living about them. We didn't have the words for it, but there's something alive in these people. And so I remember they invited us to come to this camp. And so we went to this camp. I literally smoked pot before getting on the bus to go to the camp. So I wasn't in like a great spiritual place. (laughs) Wasn't like hungry for God. But on that weekend... We just heard their testimonies. We heard the message of Jesus, this invitation to receive from him. And I remember having, we had this 20 minutes of silence at the end of the camp. And I just sat out there and I just remember kind of talking to God. God, if you're real, my life isn't, I know it's not full. I know I'm not satisfied. I know I'm still thirsting at the soul level. And I remember being terrified. I felt this pull to surrender, to give my life. And I thought, I'm gonna have the most boring life if I follow God. I can't smoke pot. I can't drink beer. I probably aren't, I'm not allowed to like chase any girls, you know. But I remember it was just something, I had a deeper hunger and thirst. And so I just somehow inwardly, I guess, surrendered. And in that moment, I experienced the living water, I kid you not, this, it felt like a waterfall just crashing down upon me. I mean, I almost remember feeling like my shoulders were just heavy from this water <laughs> coming down from heaven, I guess. And I remember thinking, wow, this is not what I thought it was gonna be. <laughs> this is not boring 
this is, this is not close to a high. This is better than anything I've tasted. And I remember just sitting there for just half an hour, just receiving. I went home from that camp and I told all my friends, guys, I'm not smoking pot anymore. And they said, yeah, you said that last year. Because <laughs> I felt bad, I felt convicted, but I didn't taste the water. I got close to it, but I didn't drink it for myself. And I said, no, this is different. I've tasted something. I've seen something. And at that point, you don't need a year of discipleship. If you drink the water from the source of life, you become a source instantly. You become a tributary of that river. And we started to see a bunch of our friends just had the same experience. So I think the real question that the Spirit would even bring this morning is, have you, first, have you tasted of this water for yourself? Not getting close to it, not dipping your toe in it, not noticing it in other people, but have you actually received it yourself? Have you tasted and seen that God is good experientially for yourself? The next question is, if you haven't been constantly, not drinking once, but constantly receiving from the river, then it can't bubble forth out of your life the way that Jesus talked about. He says, if you drink from me, it will be rivers, torrents, some translations say, of living water. So maybe it's time to just drink afresh so that you actually have something to give away to the people around you. But I think the question for some of us is, where does the river of God want to take you? What parts of this city, the dead places, the dry places, is the spirit leading you and you've been quenching it? You've been damming up the river. You've been a beaver building a little dam because you don't want to go. You don't want to step into that place. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a group of people that you feel the spirit urging you toward and you've been fighting that. So just honestly asking that question this morning, Holy Spirit, river of living water, where are you moving? Where are you wanting to take me? And maybe I've been fighting that. And it's interesting, the people that move the fastest down the river aren't the people that are running on the banks. It's the people that have just completely surrendered and laid back, leaned back into where is the river moving? Where is the spirit going? So what would that look like to just completely surrender afresh to the work of the spirit? this morning. The guys are going to come and just lead us in one or two more songs, but I think that's really the question. Have you have you received this living water that Jesus promised? If you have, 
Are you continually drinking what Jesus wants to give you? Maybe it's every time we even drink water, multiple times a day, saying, I'm drinking the physical water, but Jesus, I need the living water afresh. That out of the innermost part, the real deepest part of who I am, it's not, a, it's not fake, it's not something you conjure up, out of the real person that I am, that your life would flow from that place. What are people receiving from your life? I'm not saying, what do you believe? We can believe all kinds of stuff. What do people receive when they get around your life? What's the fruit like? Maybe there's some dead places in us we need to say, Holy Spirit, living water, come into this place so that you can bring it to life in me. This dry, dead, toxic place in me. And then the question of where does the river want to take you? If we're really honest. So let's just even pray that this morning, just enter into this prayer. Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh? Jesus, would you give the living water that satisfies the deepest parts of our soul that only you can give? And Lord, would you show us where you're wanting to take us? Where is the river wanting to take us? Where are the places, Lord, you're saying, these people don't need to come to a temple. They need to encounter a people. They need to encounter you with my presence. Filling you to the point of overflow, that they could experience my life through you. Who are the people, Lord, you're just calling us to just faithfully invest in, just be around their life. It might take years, but we're just around them. And over time, they say, I've Notice there's something living coming out of you. It's almost as if I've seen you and I've tasted something of God. I've seen you and I've seen Jesus because he's living in you and through you. Where do you want to take us, Lord? What cities do you want to send us to? What adventures are you going to take us on if we are willing to just surrender and lean back? into where your river wants to go.